In case you're just joining us today, this, this series really is all for anyone who has ever struggled to change a habit, to start something new, to put away something old. And this series is all about discovering how God can start something new in you. What we saw in week one is that when it comes to starting something new, it's not about identifying the right habits or setting the right goals. Uh, it's, it's really all about having the right heart. In fact, what we saw in week one is that God creates a new heart in you, a heart that is alive in Jesus, alive with his power. But there's also still that old sinful heart that wants to compete. So here's what we saw in week one. It's that what's in your heart will come out into your life. And it's only a matter of time until the circumstances around you simply provide an opportunity for what's in there to come out. So what we did in weeks two and three and what we'll continue to do today is look at specific things that will try to come out of your heart so that we can address them and let what is new come out on top. In week two, we showed you how to break free from guilt. And by the way, who wouldn't want this? I'm sure if you just saw the title for that message, maybe you're watching online or listening to the podcast, you, you saw that title and you said, yes, I need to listen to this. I need to watch this. I need this message because I want to be set free from guilt. And there was some powerful truth that highlighted how God brings something new, even if you've been living with guilt. And last week for part three, we saw how God helps us break free from anger. And again, if you were watching online, if you just saw the title, you said, yes, I need that. I need help being set free, breaking free from anger because we all know that anger and guilt, they bring so many negative consequences. So far in this series, we've highlighted two things that I think all of us would like to break free from. But today for part four, I'm not entirely sure that you came here or you clicked on this ready to break free from what we're talking about today. Today for part four, I'm gonna show you how to break free from greed. Now, I, we all know that greed can be this ugly thing that wrecks relationships and gets priorities wrong. But I think what we also all know is that most greed is a lot more subtle. We can curb it. We can control it. What I know is that greed, while it does have some negative side effects if you let it go full-blown, most of the time, greed actually, in a way, benefits you in the long run. Greed can benefit you. Just, just think about this for a moment, and then we'll get spiritual. Then we'll let, bring Jesus into this. But greed can benefit you in certain ways. And I'll just you know, throw out some what-ifs. Um, what if you went home right now and looked in your garage, looked in your living room, looked in your closet? Here's what I'm guessing for some of us. There might actually be a consequence of greed parked in your garage. There might be a consequence of greed mounted to your wall. There might be a consequence of greed hanging in your closet. No, greed, we understand it can ruin relationships, but if you control it, you could argue that greed has some benefits. So I'm guessing that most people who see this title online will probably skip over this message because I'm not sure if greed is something I really want to get rid of. And maybe just to flesh, flesh this out a little more, greed promises you a way out of the fear of not enough. Greed promises you fulfillment for your hopes 
of your ideal future. Greed permeates so much of our existence because we are material people living in a world of possessions and material things. But here's where I want to go, and this is the most important part of the message. While there are many benefits of greed, and we could argue that you'll be lucrative in this life with, if, if you know how to leverage greed for your own benefit, here's where God's going to take us today. The thing we all need to know is that greed will cost you. It will cost you not just if you let it get out of control and let it ruin your relationships or ruin your career, but ultimately, Jesus is going to point out something very uncomfortable today, something uncomfortable for me and perhaps also for you. It's that greed costs you your relationship with him. And I'm not overstating this, that if you allow greed to have a place in your heart, God will have no place to do something new. Jesus is going to explain this. This is a hard teaching. This is a hard message because I get it. Not all of us are ready to be free from greed. And by the way, won't there be a lot of things to sort through, like the thing in your garage or the thing mounted to your wall? Like, what do you do with that? Jesus is gonna navigate us through all this today. By the end of it, I just wanna ask this. What if there were something better, something more powerful, something with even more benefit? And Jesus is gonna show us what that is. I have two hopes for you today as we together open up a really powerful section of scripture. My two hopes for you are this, that number one, you can see why this is true, why greed will cost you, and Jesus is going to help us understand why greed costs so much. And the second thing is, I wanna show you how Jesus replaces greed with something different, something new. To do this, we're looking at Luke chapter 12, and I'm just going to open up to verse 1 because it sets the stage to help you envision what's going on as we get to this section. So meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands of people had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, just picture the chaos of the number of people, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. He called up a little small huddle, his, maybe just his closest 12, and he began to talk to them while the crowd sorted itself out. And in the, in the following verses, all the way through verse 12 of Luke chapter 12, Jesus is just giving private instruction to his disciples, preparing them for what their jobs would entail moving forward, encouraging them, kind of giving them some, some guidelines, some boundaries, and apparently the crowd was getting impatient they were waiting, they were watching, and it took one man, and, and as we get to verse 13, who would actually call out for Jesus to end his huddle and start the sermon. Actually, he brings a request. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This is an awkward way to start a sermon, I think. Like if someone would stand up and say, hey, my brother won't divide the inheritance, I'd be like, why are you talking about that here? But just get in mind what's, what's happening here. They view Jesus as an authority, a religious authority. And maybe in the back of his mind, this, this man was thinking, Jesus, he's teaching us to love one another. And I've got a real application for him to encourage someone to show some love. Or how about this? Maybe he was thinking, I have this injustice going on in my life right now. And I'm going to pray, plead for God to intercede. I'm sure you've done that. 
before. There was a time of injustice in your life. Things weren't right in your mind. And maybe even things weren't right according to a contract you had agreed to. The other person wasn't living up to their expectations. And so you prayed to God, you pleaded to God, would you make this right? Would you make things just? And this man was simply pleading to Jesus over an injustice that was going on. His brother was not dividing the inheritance. He was holding back. But just note what's going on. He's bringing this to Jesus, a representative of God himself. And it's not as if this man were wanting for daily bread. He was greeting for more than he needed. And so this opens up this world of opportunity for Jesus. And he was like, where do I start with this one? But here's where he starts. Verse 14, he says, man, and this was not a sign of disrespect, but it was a strong word to use. Like, okay, guy, dude, come on. Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter among you? I'm here as a rabbi, as a teacher, as a savior. Who told you that I'm some sort of judge? Why are you coming to me for what I am not concerned about. And I think this is a really tough lesson for us to learn sometimes when we're experiencing some sort of material injustice in our life. Is God really concerned about that? He wants to hear your prayer. He loves it when people talk to him. In fact, I, I know Jesus loved that this man came with this injustice. But Jesus says, just remember who I am and what I'm really all about. Who appointed me a judge? Go to the courthouse, go to the synagogue, go, go to the temple, go, go see someone who is appointed to do this. And then he goes on with what would become a, a marvelous teaching moment. He goes on to say, watch out to the whole crowd, watch out, be on your guard. And it's interesting because the, the Greek words used imply a militaristic approach to this. These are military terms that he's using. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Oh, we're just skimming the surface here. There are all kinds of greed that you need to watch out for. But here's the principle. He says, there's all kinds of greed we could talk about, but here's the one thing that I need you to know that life does not consist, oops, go back. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life is not about what you have. This is going to be an entirely huge topic. Jesus starts to dig into. And by the way, this is too much for one message. There are all kinds of greed. I'll just give you maybe two quick examples. There's one kind of greed that has to do with fear. You're afraid you won't have enough. And so greed pushes you to accumulate and accumulate more. Um, there's another kind, not so much about fear, but maybe an uncertainty about how you're perceived. You're greedy to accumulate so that people will know who you are. There's an identity issue. There's, there's all kinds of greed out there, but ultimately it all comes down to what Jesus said here. Your life, when you get down to the core of it, does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Possessions are a part of life, but the abundance of possessions has nothing to do with who you are, and it has nothing to do with what you fear. And so as Jesus navigates this, I think it's important for us just to understand the foundation of where greed begins. And number two on the sheet, greed begins with the belief that you deserve more, Perhaps the belief that you deserve better. 
I'm not being taken care of as I deserve, and so I will leverage greed to get more. I'm not sure people really appreciate who I am, and so I will leverage greed to impress them and to demonstrate who I really am. At the heart of greed is the belief that you deserve more. Do you, do you feel like doing that? Like the next time you're trying to convince someone that you need something, can you just tell them, hey, I'm gonna you know, go buy another pair of shoes because I deserve more. Um, go, sorry, husbands are looking at their wives right now. Um, whenever you wanna make a purchase that you know you don't really need it, could you just be honest and say, you know what? I'm gonna get this because I deserve more. I deserve better. Because that's what's going on in the heart when we allow greed to direct our path. We're believing that we deserve more and so we do whatever it takes to get it. Even, here's the ironic thing, even when we're, di- when we're disgruntled with some injustice, greed leverages injustice to make things right. So Jesus clarifies all this for us. As he goes on, he actually tells a little story that helps people visualize what greed does, where it comes from, and how to identify it in your own heart. We're gonna look at the next few verses here, and then at the end of them, we're gonna take this story that he tells, and we're gonna transform it into two questions that help us look in the mirror to see if greed is looking back in it. So here's the parable. Here's the story. Jesus told them this parable just to help them understand greed. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Ironic that when it comes to greed, he doesn't start with someone who is needy or begging or poor. Already at the beginning, this is a man who has more than most. This was a rich man. And the other ironic thing is that he did nothing to get his wealth. The ground is the hero of the story. The ground produced an abundant harvest, and he's like, whoa, this is cool, this is nice. Suddenly, there's this influx of material wealth. So where does greed fall in exactly? Greed wasn't part of how he got rich. Greed was part of what he did with it. Here's what he said. So after this influx of harvest, he thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. And the Greek word for think or thought is more of a sat down with a pen and a paper and jotted down some notes and kicked around some ideas. And he thoroughly thought through what his plan should be. And his conclusion was, I don't have enough room. And he was right. He only had enough room for what he needed. He didn't have enough room for what he didn't need. He needed that fourth stall for his garage. He needed an extra room to put his stuff in. He, he didn't have enough for what he wanted. He only had enough for what he needed. And this is, by the way, this is one of the ironic things with greed. What was enough for you yesterday suddenly isn't enough for you anymore. Greed doesn't stop at a certain level and say, okay, we're good. Greed always pushes through the roof. So he thought to himself, what do I do? I have no place to store my crops. So he did what any forward-thinking, rational person would do. He was brilliant. He said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. Very forward-thinking, very strategic. I'm sure he would make a great CEO of a company. The ironic thing is, he's got this long-term view without considering the short-term. Now, I don't know how long in those days it would take to tear down a barn of a rich man who already had a lot to begin with, how you would reallocate all the crops that were already in it and 
how long it would then take to construct a new barn in its place, I'm sure it was not a short process. Weeks, months, perhaps a year. But as he did this, he said, this is the most reasonable way forward because I've got so much, I have to keep it. So this is what happens next. I'll say to myself, self, note to self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And the word for self and the word for you is actually the, the Greek word for soul. It's really awkward how, how Luke used that word here. It's, it's the word for soul, like your inner being, like who, who makes you really you? And this, this rich man is saying to the core of who he is, we're good now. My purpose for life has now been fulfilled. My responsibilities for life are now over. Why? Because of how much I have stored up. He had an abundance of material possessions and he viewed that as an equal to who he was and what his purpose was. So as we take this, and Jesus kind of wraps up the parable soon, but as we take just the main part of this parable, there are two questions we can pull out of this that really just helps me and maybe helps you just be honest with what's looking back at us in the mirror. And here are the two questions. They're really uncomfortable, they're really difficult, but they're really important. The first one is, are you trying to justify to yourself your need for more? Let me put it this way. When you saw something you really wanted but didn't need, did you have an internal conversation with yourself, listing all the reasons why you needed it? You know, I don't really need it, but I deserve it. I, I deserve more. I, I deserve better. And so you started like this long conversation in your mind where you're just throwing back, you know, back and forth why you deserve to have it, why you deserve better, and why even though you don't need this, you're going to do it. And that's a sign that greed is at work in your heart that internal conversation that perhaps even spilled out to an external conversation with your significant other or with someone else, and you start to tell them all these reasons that you've come up with for why you're justified to get this thing or these things, whatever it is. So that internal conversation, that's a sign. That's a sign that you're beginning to let greed determine your path. That's what happened for the man in the parable. He thought to himself what he should do. He had this internal conversation, and then he went forward. So just be aware of that, that internal conversation. The second question is this. Have your possessions become your purpose? Now, it's wise, it's good stewardship to manage the things God has given you. But it's foolish to equate your purpose and your identity with what you have. Just because you reach retirement age doesn't mean God is done with you. And just because you reach a certain number in your bank account doesn't mean your identity or who you are or what your purpose is has changed. You see, greed will always try to combine your identity with your possessions or your purpose with your possessions. And when that starts to happen, it's not too late. It's not too late if you've gone down this road, but you need to understand what greed is doing. It has convinced you that you deserve more, you deserve better, and the only way forward is through more, more, more. And this rich man in the parable had it all figured out. You know, he, he said, this is what I'll do. My purpose in life is complete. My responsibilities are done. I can just relax and live the good life. 
And then here comes the end of the parable. God steps in. God steps in, and again, this is just a made-up parable. It's not, we don't have to figure out how God did this, but God said to this rich man, you fool. So wise and intelligent for this plan he came up with, like how do you tear down a barn and set aside everything and build a new one? Like the logistics were incredibly complex, but God says, you're a fool. You're a fool because this very night, your soul, the thing you've been talking to, the thing you said, everything's fine, your soul, your life will be demanded from you. It will be called back to the God who gave it to you. Then, question, who will get what you've prepared for yourself? If this really is the meaning of your life, to accumulate to the point where you can stop working, well, then what about the person who's going to get all of that? That's meaningless, as Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes. So this very life, uh, this very night, your, your life will be demanded from you. So here's one important thing that Jesus helps everyone see in this parable. It's that when God comes back and your time is up and it's time for you to face him and uh, be with him, when your life here on earth is done, he will not come down to you and look at your 401k or your checking account or whatever's in your garage and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. He will simply look at your soul. He will look at who you are. And all the material things you've built up around you will mean nothing. So what is Jesus implying? What is he saying? He says, we so often blind ourselves with the things around us, but do not neglect what is in you. Who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And then Jesus drops the bomb on the entire audience. Like, I'm sure all of them were thinking, yeah, that was a pretty bad move from that rich guy. You know, we get how it happened, but not a good move. And Jesus just drops the bomb on everyone. He makes it so real for me and for you and for the thousands of people who are listening that day. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. I'm just gonna stop right here. Stores up things for themselves, but yet they are not rich. Let that sink in for a moment. Greed can give you a shortcut to storing things up but that does not make you rich. Wow. To be rich is the goal. To be rich is something God wants. It's just a question of what is it that you are storing up? What is it you are accumulating? And for the rich man in that parable, it was not about how he became wealthy. It was more about what he decided to do with it. And this next part might not make a lot of sense, but Jesus, towards the end, we're going to fast forward to the end of the chapter. He'll clarify what he means by this. Not rich toward God. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. And so you might raise your hand, well, so I'm supposed to give money to church or give money to the temple or whatever it is. We'll get there in a moment. But in this, in this parable, Jesus is just realigning us. Do not store up for yourself be rich toward God. And God will tell us what that means in just a moment. But I just want to let this sink in and this sunk in for me this week, and I hope it does for you too. It's number three. Your heart can be greedy or your heart can be rich, but it cannot be both. It can store up things for itself or it can be rich toward God, but it cannot be both. Here's what is at the heart of greed. 
Greed is all about accumulating for itself because you deserve more. And that is absolutely 100% opposite from what God did for you. Because let's look at what Jesus did just for a moment. Of all the people who lived in this world, there was one person you can legitimately say that they deserved more. Jesus deserved more. more. He deserved more than a manger for his crib when he was born. He deserved more than the names that people would call him throughout his life. He deserved more than a family who would criticize him and doubt him. Uh, there was one time in, in Jesus' life where a woman poured expensive perfume over his feet and, his dis- and one of his disciples you know, chastised them, like, why are you wasting that? Jesus deserved more than what she poured out. He deserved more than to be put on a false trial and falsely accused and sentenced to death. He certainly deserved more than a criminal's death and a last-minute entombment. He deserved so much more. And he rightfully could have pulled the greed card to make it happen. But instead, he did the opposite. You see, greed is accumulating for yourself out of the belief that you deserve more. Grace is giving everything you have to those who deserve nothing. You might say, Jesus, because he deserved more, he was perfectly in a position for greed to take over his heart. And it was, he was tempted in every way, just as we are, to accumulate for himself, but he did not. Instead, he lived by grace, giving, giving, giving to those who did not deserve a thing. The fact that he deserved more positioned him perfectly for grace. And this is where we're gonna wrap up the sermon, wrap up the message, because we need to understand that in order to put aside the greed that simply wants to accumulate for self because we deserve it, we have to put it to death in Christ, but then let him raise to life our new heart that operates by grace. Grace is the antidote to greed. Grace is what puts greed into the ground. Grace taking the form of generosity, charity, giving to those who do not deserve. Grace looks for an opportunity to leverage what you have to give to others. I think there's a really helpful phrase just to let this sink in, that God would love you so much that he would give you what you did not deserve. That is who you are. That is your purpose. And I think there's a phrase that will help you this week and for the rest of your life. I know it's helping me this week to really just set your heart straight so that God can do something new. The phrase is simply this, I have more than I deserve. Can we practice saying this together? Can we make this interactive? I think this will be powerful just to say, and you know, in those moments of greed, you have to confess, I want this because I deserve more. Could you just acknowledge this? If you wanna say it out loud, you can. If you don't want to, you can just maybe whisper it. There'll be power in whispering too. Let's, let's say this together. Let's try it, let's try it. Ready? I have more than I deserve. I have more than I deserve. Would you make that a personal declaration to yourself? Jesus is the proof that I have more than I deserve. The greed in my heart will constantly want more, more, more out of fear, out of selfishness, but there's a better way. I don't have to seek anymore. I don't 
have to gather. I have more than I deserve. I have more than I deserve. Let that be a statement that comes to your mind. The moment you start having that internal conversation, the moment you realize what greed is leading you to, would you just tell yourself from your new heart, I have more than I deserve. So what does this look like though? Because like I said before, greed can be a complicated thing. Some of us have the consequence of greed waiting for us at home when we get there. And we're gonna be like, well, what do I do with that? And here's the thing, when Jesus was talking to people in Luke chapter 12, he was talking to a crowd of people who had consequences of greed in their houses, in their fields, all over them, and they had the same predicament. Here's what Jesus closes with. Just because you have a consequence of greed somewhere in your life doesn't mean that God can't use it. Here's what Jesus told them. This is, we're skipping towards the end of the chapter. He said, sell your possessions. And he wasn't saying, be, you know, drop yourself below the poverty level. He wasn't saying, live a destitute life. He was just telling them, if, if there's something in your life that's bothering you, if, if it's a consequence of greed, sell it. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. And here's the bigger picture. Provide for yourselves a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys, no salty roads cause rust. I hate that. You just put down the salt and it's getting up in your wheels and you're, ah. But there is a place where you can invest and store up a treasure that will last well beyond your short life. What if? What if the consequences for your greed that are sitting in your house or in your checking account, what if God could still use those to create friendships, to make a difference in this world so that people might come to know the grace, the source of the grace that's coming from you? People are used to greed. It's the way the world works. But when grace shines through, it gets people's attention. And what if, what if God could still do that through you? And here's where Jesus ends. And this is his final hope. His hope isn't that you meet a certain metric or drop below a certain income level. That's not the goal. Here's what his goal is. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's what he wants. When your heart's in the right place. Sometimes you have to redirect your possessions so that your heart will follow behind. And Jesus says it's this new heart that can show the kind of grace that this world has never seen. So here's my practical application for you that you can take home and put it into practice in whatever way you think is best for you. But instead of letting guilt lead you step by step, would you put grace into action? Instead of asking yourself, what can I accumulate for my own well-being because I deserve more? What if you woke up tomorrow and said, what can I give to people who haven't deserved a thing? Again, striking that balance of being a proper steward of what you've been given and what you've received, not making yourself poor, destitute, or below the poverty level, but simply asking yourself, how can I leverage what I have in my life to show the grace that I've been given? When Jesus came, he was perfectly positioned to show grace to this world. And because of what he did, so are you. So are you. So would you this week put grace into action? 
Not because that will make God pleased with you, but because of the grace that he has already shown you. And I pray God gives you the wisdom to be able to navigate what that grace will look like for you. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, greed is a heavy topic to dig into. And I acknowledge that for a lot of people, they may, might not have started this message wanting to be freed from greed. But I pray that as we looked at Jesus' words today, they were a light for us to see how greed and grace can't coexist. And I thank you that it was grace that Jesus brought with him into this world. I thank you that for greedy people like me and like all of us who have greed that wants to rise up out of our hearts, your grace never ends. It's there for us every day. And even as we live with reminders of greed from the past, I pray that you would turn those into opportunities for grace in the future. Give us a new heart, a new heart that delights in giving freely, even when it's not deserved. Give us wisdom, patience, and your spirit. Amen. <laughs>